Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jeff. We have an exciting launch that's happening on Thursday, June 11th. Head over to LinkedIn and look up Gain, Grow, Retain. Go ahead and follow the page and we'll have more announcements soon. Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. Hi, everybody. Today I have with me a very special guest on the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast, Donna Weber, who uh, I think, Donna, we met, I think we met for the first time in person at Pulse last year. A year ago, uh, yeah. almost this so we time. Met through, yeah, uh, we met through Brian Gentile. Di- Brian, that's uh, right. Gave us an introduction, and we had a chat. I remember I, I was out, went out for a walk when we talked and first met each other. There you go. Wow, that's great that you remember that. <laughs> I can't. Remember, I told somebody this morning. I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. So, <laughs> yeah. but you got a good memory. Well, good. So it's awesome to to be chatting with you. Uh, we were both, of course, working from home, which we did before COVID nineteen struck. Um, but, uh, you're in the, in the Bay area, so you're on complete lockdown. We're not quite that bad yet here in South Carolina, but, uh, you know, all indications are it's headed that direction. So we'll, we'll, uh, we won't keep our fingers crossed on that one. But, um, so anyway, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, a webinar that you did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, for those that don't know you, um, uh, actually, why don't you give a little bit of background on yourself and, and what you're into now? Why don't we start there and then we can sure. get into that webinar. Sure. So I'm the president of Springboard Solutions, and I help companies scale their customer success offerings, programs, teams with onboarding and enablement uh, programs for their customers. And it's really about, you know, looking at getting those customers onboarded, enabled, using the product, because when customers adopt quickly, they renew forever. And that's what everyone wants, right? Yep. Yep. That's right. Yeah. We, we, we talk about that all the time with our clients and LinkedIn and everything else. So t- tell me when you say enablement, can you go into a little bit more detail about when you say that word, what do you mean? Yeah. Well, when, um, so I see still, we, you know, customer success has been around for a while now. There's a lot of folks who are passionate about customer success yet. You, uh, you know, when the deal closes, a lot of companies still use hope as a strategy for getting customers mm. to use the product. So great. You sold the product, but you know, and okay, maybe you're implementing it, but how are you really going to get customers not just to use your product, but to get value and to um, transform their business, to be heroes with your product? And you don't do that just by, you know, focusing on CSM compensation, how many accounts each CSM has. You really need to think about the people using your product. You might have a lot of different users. So a lot of time companies I work with might have developers, might have administrators, might have business users, um, might have, um, you know, end users, there's all different roles. Um, and it's important to get each of those users onboarded and enabled that so that they're, they're using your product to do their jobs. So if they can log in, oh, great, but do they, are they, are they doing their jobs? Are they transforming how they do their business because of your product? That's what's going to help with the renewals. And that's when it, what's going to get them to buy more, to tell their colleagues and to be your champions. Totally. Um, and one of the things that, that we uh, spend a lot of time thinking about and talking about is, you know, the whole idea of customer journey and onboarding is by far, at least in what we've seen working with our clients and in the SaaS companies that we've worked in in our careers, it seems to be like the critical moment, right, in the relationship because you're going from sales, you know, that, that process, you know, transitioning into a different set of teams internally that are working on the customer from the company side. So it's a really critical milestone. It's critical. And yet a lot of companies are are ad hoc or reactive during onboarding. And um, a lot of companies are still kind of really engaging customers in the last 
30, 60, 90 days when it's time to renew. And I'm a firm believer that front-loading the relationship with customers is what's going to drive the renewal. And then when you're proactive and prescriptive, then it's going to save you a lot of money because you're not having to jump in with reactive heroics, firefighting, parachute teams in to save accounts because they're going to be getting value. And, um, you know, it's going to be easy and obvious for them to renew. Yeah, um, I promise we're going to get into this webinar in a second because it's really fascinating oh, yeah, stuff. No but the other day, I, I put a post out on LinkedIn that was basically, so we, we've had a couple of clients recently that have come to us and said, hey, we're building a, essentially like a high-touch client save team, for lack of, you know, of a better term. And, and, you know, that's all fine and good, but I put a post out. I said, instead of building a client save team, invest in onboarding, right? Because Yeah, give it up front. Give it or at least at least do it in parallel. You know, if you're going to do the save team, at least build an onboarding, you know, process and that engages the users and the people in the process in parallel because, you know, it's going to be just as valuable as the save team ultimately more. Yeah. Well, one, one company I work with, I interviewed their customers to find out what's working and what they would like to improve. And they told me, Hey, the CSMs are great. We really like them. But they told me, um, you know, here you go. Call me when you have a problem. And the customers told me we don't want problems. And the CSMs were surprised. They're like, really, we're supposed to do more. So, um, you know, the customers don't want problems. Everyone's busy. Everyone has a lot of different tools they are trying to use. And so they don't want to be given a tool and have to figure it out on their own. A lot of the customers told me we want to learn how other customers are using the product rather than figuring it out for ourselves. And so they don't want to be in this vacuum. And, uh, you know, if you have some defined first value, you can drive them towards. And, uh, you know, this is when they're most excited to use your product. Um, and rather than just say, here you go, here's your license, call me when you have a problem, nobody wants that. Yeah, they're most excited and they're probably the most fearful at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if it's a big enterprise investment. So yeah. you either have the chance to really knock their socks off or really, really let them down. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, exactly. the, the, the downside is, is bigger than the upside, it seems. Yeah, no, that's that a case. good point. I'm just going to get my slinky so. socks. <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep your hands occupied, I know. Um, yeah, and I think one last point on this, maybe um, this, this we try to fight a lot the transactional mindset in our customers, and by transactional I mean we close the deal, right? We got the booking, we're going on to the next one. Um, we don't really we don't really have a plan after that. We have support, which is also transactional, right? Like call us if you have a problem. Like you just said, customers don't want problems. They they expect support when they do have problems, but even that is is transactional. We look at the whole the whole thing from the marketing messaging, like go to market, you know, strategy, like the brand promise, all the way through the sales process, the onboarding, the adoption, all those things are connected to the customer because we can't afford for them not to be now yeah, because we have to maintain the relationship to maximize lifetime value to pay for the cost of acquisition. It all hangs together, right? Yeah, so absolutely. You can't ignore. And you know, you were talking about transactional, and um, I was talking with Ed Powers, who I learned about the neuroscience from, and um, and he was saying, you know, I was saying, what is it that, that you know, the, all these customer-facing teams, they're not really getting that they need to work together. Um, I created a framework called the Orchestrated Onboarding Framework, which really is about bringing those customer-facing teams together, but they're used to being transactional. They're, they're used to, like, coming in during only very specific times and really being in their silos of, like, oh, I, I handle training, or I handle a support case knowledge article or I do implementation and then they, they move on. They're not really used right. to that bigger picture, that larger solution, and they're not used to working together. So, um, you know, that's my goal is to get those teams working together to provide that seamless journey for customers. 
So customers don't have Absolutely. to figure it out. Oh, do I look at an knowledge article? Do I call support? Like they don't care. They don't want to have to figure that out. Um, one right. company, one company I was working with last year, they had three or four different getting started guides on different platforms and possibly for different um, users. And you know, customers are that's confusing. And internal teams are all like creating the same content. We we can't afford to be doing that anymore. We need to be all working together to to get those customers up to speed quickly. Yeah. Yeah, it's a waste of resources at best, and at worst, it's really confusing for the client. So, cool. Um, well, why don't we dive into the topic of, of this webinar that you did? It's really interesting, and I know Ed was involved with it. I love Ed. He's a great guy. Um, we've had a chance to speak a couple of times. Um, but it was all about human neuroscience, right, and how that actually factors in during this onboard customer onboarding kind of process. So talk me through yeah, sure. like what you found and what you learned and put that together. It's really, really fascinating. Yeah, so I met Ed Powers at a customer success con in Denver last year. And he was sharing with me that he's really interested in neuroscience and shared some of his blogs, which I'm happy to uh, provide in the show notes. Um, and um, so I did some additional research and found, you know, what's going on in our customers' brains when they first um, sign up for our product. So, you know, as you were saying, when we first started talking, you know, we're not just signing up a, a company. We're not just signing up an account. It's not just a quote customer. It's not just an account in Salesforce. There are people involved and there are people might be stakeholders, business sponsors, buyers. Um, and there's also users and there might, those users might be all different kinds of audiences as we were just talking about. So what happens is that, you know, we all have brains and the brains have these reactions, whether we want them to or not. So neuroscience is the study of the structure and function of the nervous system and the brain. And neuroscientists focus on the brain and its impact on behavior and cognitive fun functions or how we think. And it has a lot to do with onboarding. I am no expert here. So I'm just sharing what I've learned. I'm happy to share links to all the blogs and articles I found, but it impacts us with these areas, first impressions, confirmation bias and buyer's remorse. And these happen whether we want them to or not. These are like automatic responses in our brains. So first impressions, confirmation bias, and buyer's remorse. So how do those three things, are? how are they factoring in during onboarding? Yeah, so we'll talk about uh, first impressions because they, those, they matter. And um, uh, you know, it, there's this idea that, okay, we build out all these great different touch points along the customer journey. Maybe you have this uh, onboarding specialist, maybe you have a CSM, maybe you have a support, and you build out great uh, touch points there, but it, it appears that they don't all have equal weight, that those first impressions have exponential uh, weight because our, our brains are not rational and logical. So uh, the, the parts of the brains that are activated during onboarding are those that deal with fear and value. So people don't perceive the beginning of relationships objectively. So um, what happens is that the brain sets the first and most impactful cognitive anchor upon which all subsequent learning is, is uh, based. So what happens is that um, you have that first impression and, um, and then that sets, sets a precedent which all future interactions are measured against. So, you know, if I meet you, you know, maybe during that first uh, time we talked uh, while I was out walking and I had a negative impression, this is the, where confirmation bias comes in. I have this split second first judgment, but if you were, let's say, um, um, a negative, you, you, you know, maybe you were sick and you had some negative things to say, then in my head, I'm gonna say Jay is a negative person and I'm going to hear 
through that filter, what you say is going to, I'm going to look through it as, a, oh, that Jay's a negative person filter. Whereas if you were in a great mood and I got that a great first impression, then I'm going to keep validating that impression of Jay's a positive person through that filter. And so I keep reconfirming that initial bias. And then, you know, when we're dealing with customers and onboarding, then, then they're going to get more and more stuck in that initial first impression. Yeah, right. That makes so much sense. And I guess um, when you think about first impressions too, I mean, this is not the first, onboarding is not the first impression that a, that a customer, you know, broadly speaking, does have with a company, right? Because they went through our sales process, they reached, mm -hmm. researched us online, um, they interacted with some of our content, media, so they probably, but that could have been different people. That could have been yeah, different exactly. stakeholders, right? So you have now, different- oftentimes, um, Yeah, oftentimes groups. that buyer that, you know, one, you're, there's, two, there's two things. One, the teams they're dealing with in the buyer journey, that ends and there's a whole new team. So there's new first impressions to make. Two, the team that was buying it may not be the ones using it. And that's often a big disconnect because the buyers buy it and then there's people who are told to use your product and they don't know anything about it. They don't know any of the goals, the objectives, the success outcomes that have been defined. And so they're just like, this is a huge inconvenience, you know? So they, they might have a very negative first impression because they don't even know what your product is, why it was purchased and why they're supposed to use it. Right. And they, they may not have been included appropriately in the, in the process of buying it either. Right. Yeah. Now they're so, so, the, so once the customer journey happens, there's a huge opportunity, which usually isn't addressed to do this reset of new teams, new focus, and um, getting everyone, you know, aligned and um, off to a good start. Right. So I see then how first impressions get made and, and then compromise, confirmation bias sort of reinforces whatever that impression was, right? To, you know, there. So how does, how, how does buyer's remorse actually play into it? Is that sort of like the trough of despair that we typically <laughs> yeah. think about in the, in the change curve or? Yeah, so buyer's remorse is the sense of regret after having made a purchase. It's usually associated with expensive things like a big um, purchase, like a, a car, um, but it could happen with anything as insignificant as an ice cream cone. So it's actually hard to tell when it strikes. And, you know, I do like, I do a lot of research and when I buy anything, shoes, vacations. And so, um, you know, I put all this effort into this purchase, but um, then I'll go into that, oh, you know, did I make the right choice or the wrong choice? I do a lot of analysis and, um, and, um, and my head can really spin about whether I've made the right choice or not. And so um, uh, from what I've learned, some 82% of people report feeling regret or guilt over their purchases. And this can come up to $10 billion worth of goods collectively. So um, tell me about anything you've had buyers or more so lately. Oh, geez. I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I think, so we had a big project done in our house recently. And uh, it was, it sort of, it, it got really expensive. And um, at the end of it, especially now, like now that the economy is like, God. <laughs> sort of like looking like it's going to wobble on us here. I'm, I'm looking at this thing, looking at our backyard. I'm like, is this, is this really where I want that money sitting now? So maybe it's a confluence of things, right? Like, yeah. but even before that, like big purchase, like, is this really what we wanted to do? But yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I do, I do have, you know, that, that recent experience. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and, and I think it happens with things like cars. It, it happens with things like even like a, a new computer, like it looked really good yeah. sitting on the shelf and, Around the counter there at the Apple store. Or, yeah, no, or it's obsolete. But, you know, there's always the next version coming out, you know, and. Um, yeah, yeah. 
So, so what happens is our brain goes into prospection and smart people like you and me, we do our research, we analyze, we, you know, maybe put together a decision matrix, we do brainstorming, we do our pros and cons list. And so we, we set our brains in motion to analyze this. And then when we purchase it, the brain keeps going. So it keeps, it's called rumination, prospection. You kind of keep trying to analyze and anticipate um, what's going on. We often do this with vacations. We try to anticipate what that vacation is going to be like from the photos. And then we get there and we're comparing it to those images of what we had. And, um, and so the brain keeps going and it doesn't have a clear stopping mechanism. And so that's called prospection. It's also called rumination. And, um, and so uh, Ed was telling me we need a process called cognitive closure to stop. And we'll, we'll explore that a little more. But we need to provide a clear mechanism to stop all of that analysis and start this new, so we stop the buyer journey and start the customer journey. It has to be really clear. We have to give those stopping mechanisms so that they're not still ruminating and prospecting. And when you think about it from the buyer's perspective, maybe the buyer is a VP of customer success in a smaller organization. Maybe in an enterprise organization, it's the procurement team. But from their perspective, you know, they're not just buying something. They might be putting their relationship on the line because they've done their yeah. research, their analysis, and they are putting their their um their um you know uh their, you know their how people perceive them based on this product they selected they might be putting their job on the line you know there was in the old days people would say you never lost a job over buying ibm so um, yeah. um yeah. yeah so you know they're, they're it's not just a decision it's not just money it's greater it's a lot more emotional than that even if the people we're working with don't get it you know um, it, you know, yeah. it, it's, how does it work with their values? Like, like I bought a pair of shoes recently and I have, I'm wearing them around the house trying to decide if I'm going to keep them, you know, but I'm comparing them. Like, how do they <laughs> align with my values? You know, are they comfortable? Yep. Are they practical? Can I afford them? You know, there's a lot, it's a lot more than just a pair of shoes. You know, it's really aligned with, um, you know, I, 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 I'm considering things much more deeply. So, and then if I keep them and yeah. they're uncomfortable, then I'm going to, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot more. We're dealing with a lot more. There's a lot more going on in people's brains than is, a, than is apparent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so then getting really practical, how do we take this new knowledge that we have about first impressions, confirmation buyers, buyers remorse? Like, how do we, how do we weaponize our onboarding? That's probably the wrong word. Yeah. But how, how, do we, how do we utilize that yeah. process of going from the sales sales process to you know the delivery or the execution of the relationship how do we how do we create cognitive closure yeah have you figured that out yet well and i want to say just uh, share one more story uh, at my previous company that i worked at we had very complex analytics tools and um and i was responsible for customer enablement and um i would be training folks and they were very resistant they're like we have our awesome spreadsheets and I built out all these cool formulas and they didn't want to use our, our fancy tools that were real time, had real time updates, you know, um, amazing analysis, you know, all this, all this great, um, um, you know, work um, triggers and things, uh, but they didn't yeah. see the value. So um, we, again, we need to address that just because our, our tool is great doesn't mean they get it. So there's um, what, what we need to do is build trust. And we do that in four uh, ways. Uh, one is cognitive closure, two is continuity, three is small talk, and four is change management. And we can dive and teach those. Yeah, okay. So then, I mean, that trust thing is huge because it addresses the concerns that, so, I mean, because when you go from sales to the onboarding process, you're interacting with a new set of people at our company too. 
right? And, and it may be a new set of people in their company as well, but it's, it's a new set of relationships essentially. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, how, how are you, how do your, how are you advising your clients to, to build these kind of, you know, trust continuity? Did you say yeah. continuity is the second one? Small talk and change management. So how do they actually build that into the yeah. process? Cognitive closure, continuity, small talk, and change management. So cognitive closure is that stopping mechanism we were talking about. And it applies yeah. breaks to the validating process. And it allows that your brain to move on to the next thing. Okay. And, um, and so, so something as clear as like um, something Ed Power suggested is maybe as soon as the deal closed, you send out an email and helping people understand the sales process is done and the customer process is beginning. And he was saying even something as simple as having an, like an image of a sunrise, you know, sunset, sunrise, helps to address the, um, the, those parts of the brain to get it. Like this is the beginning, here's an end. And um, I have not tried, I have not played around with that with, with, um, with images. Um, and then there's continuity. So you're talking about even at your company, at Customer Imperative, they're gonna be dealing with a different folks. So that's where in my orchestrated onboarding framework, you have this handoff. And a lot of folks will have this internal handoff, like from the sales reps to the CSMs. But it's also critical to have a customer handoff because you're now you have this trusted party, the sales rep, the sales engineer, whoever else is involved in the buyer journey. And those trusted parties need to pass that trust on to the post sales team, to the customer journey team. So that might be a formal meeting or the, you know, the the, uh, sales rep, um, you know, introduces the onboarding team, the CSM, the um, implementation team, and, and, you know, something as simple as, hey, you know, having everyone come together and having that meeting. And then also having a handoff from the buyers in the customer to the post, you know, the implementation and the user teams um, so that they get that handoff internally and they get that trust. Um, so that is where that continuity yep. and, and, and trust can happen. It's as simple as it can be a meeting. And I recommend having yep. that as soon as possible. If you wait 10 days, two weeks, then you're, uh, all the users are just sitting there in fear and doubt. So address that immediately. You might be as soon as the deal closes or even before the deal closes. Um, my orchestrated onboarding framework starts before the deal closes. So you might, um, depending yep. on how things happen, as soon as the deal closes, if it, things are going to move fast, then have that, those introductions you know, as the deal is closing before it closes. Start getting those introductions. Start connecting. And so that the customers aren't going, oh, great, I bought this. Now what? That they know this is what happens. This is who I'm working with. I'm in good hands. I know what's next. Versus like, great, I just spent a boatload of money and I have no idea what to do. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. It, it, and just making sure that everybody knows what's happening next is in and of itself just a really big piece of continuity and trust, right? It's when I have to start making up things in my head because I, I don't yeah. know what's happening next. But there's a like, gap. Yeah. Have they forgotten about me? Like, am I even important to them anymore now that I've closed, you know, yeah, now they that just I've signed want my, my contract? Like, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we don't I mean, want to leave that. Before. We don't want to leave a gap to let them wonder about that. And then in my framework, I have, uh, uh, so you have the handoff and then the kickoff. So a lot of companies jump yep. right into the implementation and then you're getting yeah. deep into data migrations and customizations and configurations. And that is deep in the technical weeds. And I recommend having this kickoff, which is helping under everyone understand the big picture roles, responsibilities, accountabilities, uh, goals, objectives, outcomes, so that you're not just diving into technical weeds and problems and, oh, we need your payment gateway. And, oh, you can't get access to this. Then there's just problems, you know, and you're deep in these technical, yeah. tactical weeds. So help everyone understand, hey, we're all partnering. We're in this together. This is what we want you to achieve. And that's how to set the framework. Yeah. 
that what you just mentioned right there is probably one of the most prolific things that I've seen. So we've been doing this three years now, customer imperative. And in 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 most I'd say probably eighty percent of the companies that we work with, they're jumping into from the sales process to implementation. Oh, and I like that you use the same words I do. Because I, I talk about implementation is one thing, but onboarding is a separate thing, yeah. right? Onboarding is the process of, okay, like, what were our goals from, you know, why did we buy this? How do we map what we're going to do in implementation to the strategic outcomes that we're looking for? It's, I mean, we call it joint success planning. I don't think that's new to anybody, at least in a customer success world. Um, but, I mean, that's the thing you have to, you have to hang all those technical activities onto some bigger yes. anchor, some North star and that onboarding process gives you the opportunity yeah. to do it. Yeah. And I was just talking to someone yesterday about, Oh, you know, okay. It, we were talking, I think about first value and Oh, go live. Oh, woohoo, we went live. Well, so what does anyone know how to use your product? Is everyone, you know, uh, yeah. figuring out how to make their jobs better? Are they saving money? Is it, are they making money as a result of your product? So what, you know, oh, they know how to log in. So what, you know, like it, it needs to be so much bigger than, than getting you know systems connected and a uh, and a go live. That's right. Um, okay, so I've heard a lot about small talk just recently with everybody working remote. How important <laughs> that is to like team building and building trust and camaraderie amongst the team. But how does it how does it play in in your framework and you think about onboarding? Yeah, just you know getting to connect with the people. So um, taking a moment. Um, oftentimes, everyone's so busy with their checklists. Um, that, or that, you know, if you're CSM, you have a lot of accounts, um, you're just trying to move them through a playbook, but just take a moment to connect with the real people. And that really lubricates relationships. And if you find some commonality, then it can help you through hard times like we're going through now, you know? And uh, Ed Powers told me that it's not about the hard times, it's about how you deal with them. So if you take the yeah. time up front to really connect and get to know them, then even if, you, if you're not perfect, if you give outages or, things, you know, slow down with the onboarding and implementation, then they'll be more willing to partner with you and more uh, patient and flexible. So simple things like um, I was meeting with a colleague uh, recently and I looked on their LinkedIn and I see, oh, where are they from? Do I know, do we have any shared connections? And I noticed that they had a picture on their profile of sitting on the top of Half Dome, the big granite um, um, uh, mountaintop in Yosemite Valley. And I've hiked to the top of that. I actually spent the night on it, which you're not allowed to do anymore. But it was fun to, uh, it was uh, fun to just say, hey, I see you hike to the top of Hack Dome and share, we, you know, we have shared passion for the outdoors, being active and outdoors. And so we've, we have a shared connection. Um, and, you know, just, just at the beginning of meeting, hey, how are your kids? You know, hey, what's working for you during this work at home, self-distancing thing? Just, uh, just, you know, it just takes a moment to, to ask and then to listen. Listening is really important too. But connecting is people. Yeah. Anything yeah. you find helpful for that? Um, you know, we've been, uh, so my company has been remote now or like fully remote since day one. So, but even with the teams that I've worked with, uh, that we've worked with over the past few years, it's, you know, the, the ones that we tend to get along with, there tend to be better outcomes from those relationships. And I mean, I, I can't say it all comes down to small talk, but that, you know, having some kind of shared, you know, knowledge of one another outside of just you know, the, the business side of what we're trying to do is certainly really important to any relationship, I think. Yeah. So. And if, let's say, I know um, more about you, I might be able to help meet some needs you have. So, you know, knowing like, oh, right. you're struggling with this or you need that. Oh, hey, I got an article that I wrote that I can share with you or 
Um, I know someone else who has that same challenge. Let me connect you. You know, this is part of being, a, you know, part of a, you know, so, social interactions. Yeah, and, and I like the way you couch all that because I think in, in customer success, we get really wrapped up in what our products can do for people, but we forget that, and what I always sort of talk to teams about is that like you're you're really one of the most knowledgeable organizations in your domain right because you get to work with lots of companies who are all trying to do the same thing let's say your product is a recruiting product right so you get to see hundreds of companies that use your product some of whom do that well some do it poorly but you get to see all the good the good stuff right and if you can it, you can provide value outside of just your product by bringing the most common and emerging practices to your customer base it doesn't always have to be in your product in fact it's hard for the product mm -hmm. to keep up with all that mm -hmm. a lot of times yeah, and so bringing it back to you know if you, if you the, the better you know people and what they're struggling with and what their what their goals are and how they think like are they innovative or are they more conservative and so they only want to do something if it's really proven because they're worried it's sort of like jeffrey moore crossing the chasm kind of stuff mm -hmm. you know but if you understand where their where their mindset is then you can you can bring all that to bear and provide more value so i completely agree um and then change management that seems to be like a really really big bullet point there relative to everything else in the list because change management has got lots of facets to it. Yeah. So yeah, that can be huge. How do you think about, how do you think about it? Really? I, sometimes I, I refer to uh, customer success and I think onboarding even more so is like change management at scale, mm -hmm. right? Getting companies to think differently about the problem that they're trying to solve, you know, the, the, the products that are available, but how, how, how do you think about change management relative to all of this? Well, th so there's a few things. So one is that, while CSMs, onboarding teams might help with uh, driving the adoption, um, they're still often talking about their products. So it's like, hey, Jay, let me show you. I'm going to show you how to log in. I'll give you a tour of the product. And it's all about the product. In order to really help with the change management, we need to relate it to the jobs that people are trying to do. So um, for example, a, a company that um, I worked with last year, they have a workflow automation platform. And um, all of their uh, customer enablement and onboarding was about how to like get that first workflow set up. And it was all about the product. But when I talked to companies that were really thriving on their platform, it was those who really learned the concepts and context around the workflows. So most companies would buy their workflows product for one workflow. Okay, we have this one really complex workflow, we're gonna roll it out. But when they learn the larger concepts and context about what workflows are and how they fit into their lives, then they started seeing opportunities across their entire business to roll out their tool. And at those companies, people were like banging down that like the administrator's door, like I want a workflow. So they helped, they started by um, going, hey, you know, what's your workflow for making a poached egg? You know, that's a workflow. I have yeah. a workflow for tying my shoes, you know? And so for that company, working together, we realized there's a huge opportunity to evangelize the space. You know, just like Gainsight's done an awesome job of evangelizing the space and teaching people what customer success is, what being a CSM is all about. Um, so sometimes it's not just about your product, it's really about helping people to do their jobs better. And so thinking about and uh, listening to customers for what they're trying to do. So just getting someone to log in and run a report, you know, what, what is it that's gonna turn the dial for them? What's gonna really make a difference? Not just that they're quote using your product, oh, is there product usage metrics? You know, but are they getting value from your product and what does that value mean for each customer, for each customer segment, for each product? Um, and that's where change management happens. So there's a there's a, a term called jobs to be done. So really knowing not just, oh, here yep. I'm gonna walk you through my product, but 
what jobs you're trying to accomplish um, with the product. So that's a whole focus on the jobs to be done. And then it also depends on what kind of users you have. So often like, let's say developers, I worked with a company that does big data, their users are developers and it's you're encoding in a tool. Um, so, you know, there's not a lot of change management there. But if your users are, you know, rolling out to business users, they might need to really understand not just that you have a product, but where it fits into their day-to-day -day operations, what the benefits are, and you might create like a center of excellence. You might create some assets that the company can roll out to really help uh, the users know not just, oh, there's a new tool, but why to use it, what's the context, how it fits into their daily life, how it, what tools it's replacing and why, and it's you know, just much larger um, context so that they can um, kind of clear the way and, and the resistance, like I, like I was talking about, hey, we, we, we're comfortable in our spreadsheet. Why would we want to move to this fancy analytics tool where we can get the job done in our spreadsheet? So, so um, like, w the concept that always comes to my mind around this is the idea of like a maturity model. Do you use that concept in your work at all? Because what you just yeah. described, it, it sounds a lot like it. it. And it's, you know, do you, do you have people that know what it is we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it? Uh, did, have they done it before? Do you have the other appropriate resources around the thing? Like, okay, so back to, you know, the recruiting example I gave earlier, I used to work for a company that um, we had recruiting and onboarding software for hourly workers. And, you know, one of the dependencies we always had was like the front end recruiting website. It wasn't part of our product, but if they didn't have that, then there was a missing component in terms of how the marketing element of the recruiting worked. Right. And so, um, so I don't know, I'm just curious, maturity model came to mind for me Yeah, absolutely. and wonder if you've like used that formally. I do. I don't find a lot of companies have that, to be honest. Um, I also call this um, ongoing onboarding. So uh, an important focus of uh, change management might be to de define different levels of customer maturity in your product or platform and drive them to, you know, using some initial use cases or some basic scenarios and then driving them to more complex scenarios. So rather than trying to get them to use the whole, everyone using the whole product all at once, that can be overwhelming. So if you can define some kind of first level scenarios, really modularize it. You might have a modularized product that you want people to start using specific modules and then you're gonna drive them to additional modules. But if you can define that maturity model and then having proactive, prescriptive ways to get customers to drive that behavior into those different modules, different use cases, then that will be more, um, you know, that's gonna help with the change management because that, that'll be really obvious what they need to do and when. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.